Hey, good evening, everybody. Aren't we thankful for the warm-up tonight? Amen. Um, before, Jonathan, you come here for just a second. Before we get started tonight, uh, I've announced every night this week uh, what this series is all about and the T.W. Willingham uh, Preacher of the Year series. Uh, but I, what I want to do tonight is thank our chaplain. Uh, Jonathan has, has put all of this together, and not only the worship, but he arranged for our speaker to be here and contacted him and, and uh, made that possible. I think he's done a good job, don't you? Would you thank him? Thanks, J.C. God bless you. Well, I've introduced Reverend Norman Moore every night, and uh, we've enjoyed his ministry, and you're going to really enjoy his ministry again tonight. Let's worship together, okay? It's all stand. God is an awesome God. Scripture says if our God is for us, who can be against us? Thank you for the honor of being with you again. It's always a blessing, privilege for me to return to Nazarene Bible College and share God's word, connect with uh, students and faculty and staff. One more time, I'd like to congratulate you for the substantial ministry that you're providing here and how it's being multiplied throughout the nation and other world areas. You're making an impact. It's going to last for time. It's going to last for eternity. I guarantee you this, when it's all over here and we check out and land in heaven and you scan the crowd, I guarantee you, you'll find some folks who are there directly from the influence of Nazarene Bible College right here in Colorado Springs. Somebody talked to me recently about my call to ministry and why I stay in itinerant evangelism. I told them lost people still need to be saved. And believers still need to be sanctified. The church still needs to be revived. And pastoral and lay leadership still need to be encouraged. And that agenda has not changed for me for the last 34 plus years. I got to think about it one night and I just put it down in a testimony. I call it still thankful for my call. As you consider God's call in your life to full-time Christian service. I hope this testimony will be an encouragement to you. I can still remember as I sat and read God's word, his call to be an evangelist, clearer than I'd ever heard. I walked through the doors God opened, didn't kick any doors down. I packed my suitcase, kissed Vicky goodbye, and preached from town to town. I remember many airports and several highway miles. I recall many kind churches and pastors with friendly smiles. There have been lonely economy hotels and fast food along the way, but the price has been worth it all when they came to the altar to pray. I'd stand and open my Bible and preach the best I could, and the Holy Spirit applied God's Word just like He said He would. I've watched them stand up from the altar, committed to do their best, to love the Lord with all their heart and pursue true holiness. Someday... 
I'll empty my suitcase and carry it down the hall, reflecting on revival's past, still thankful for my call. And when I get to heaven and search the crowd that's there, I'll find folks from the revivals who came to the altar for prayer. One of the best favors the Lord has ever done for me, besides saving me, sanctifying me, calling me to preach, and giving Vicky to me for my wife, is giving me a rock-solid, unmistakable, unquestionable, never for a second call to full-time evangelism. And I trust as you pursue the call of God in your heart, that there'll be unfolding spiritual fruit. I read in John's Gospel, here it is, my Father, glorified that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Between now and when you leave this world, everyone in this room can have a substantial impact for Christ and for souls for time and for eternity. Let's pray right now in that direction. Father, we're here in chapel tonight. We're glad for the privilege of being together with these friends who love you and love your word. We ask one more time that your Holy Spirit would coach us from its truth and give us the grace to be obedient to you. Help us to clearly grasp the insight from the scriptures and take immediate action that would be consistent with your plan and purpose for us. Use us all to make a substantial impact in this world while we have opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, by now, most of you know I was born in Denver, but grew up in Pueblo. Uh, I remember that the school district down in Pueblo had a policy. Every six weeks, the teachers were instructed and required to distribute to each student what they called a report card. Do you do that here? I remember getting a report card one day. And man, there was a grade that was embarrassingly low. The worst thing about it, it was accurate. I concluded a professor or teacher actually doesn't give a grade. It's simply a visible indication of a student's conscientiousness and discipline and diligence and application to their responsibility. And the truth was I was negligent and lazy and apathetic and incompetent doing the work I needed to do. There's a place on the back panel of that card where the parents had to sign their name and put the date, evidence to the teacher that they saw the grade. Well, halfway through the next grading period, I got the idea, you know what, it might not be a bad idea to talk to the teacher about my grade. I was timid and shy, introverted, but I mustered enough courage after class one day to slowly and quietly step up to the teacher sitting at that old blonde oak teacher's desk. Remember those? With that green felt paper blotter. He looked up from the desk and said, Oh, Norman, what can I do for you? I said, Well, you think there might be a time when uh, we could talk about my grade? He said, man, that's a good idea. 
He said, why don't you come in this afternoon about 3.30 after school's out? That'll give me time during the noon hour to look at the records and see how you're doing. Well, the school bell rang and got out of my last class and headed down the hallway and turned to that perpendicular intersection and another few feet and stepped inside the entrance of that classroom. I can still see the hot fluorescent lights above glinting off of a highly buffed, waxed, tile, beige, and ivory floor. I stepped up to his desk and he looked up and said, Oh, Norman, thanks for coming in. I had a chance to look at the records. He said, You know what? You don't have any absences this grading period, and you've turned in all your homework. And he even got a B on the last test. He said, If you keep going like you are, I'm pretty certain that come next report card, you'll be in a lot better shape. Well, we have an abbreviated visit, and I thanked him for his time and excused myself and headed out the door. About the time I stepped into the hallway, he called my name a second time. He said, oh, Norman. I looked back, and he grinned real big. He said, thanks for caring enough to come in and check. I wish every student would care enough to do that. And my farewell words to you, dear, sweet, precious friends. A day's coming when every one of us is going to get a report card on the quality, the credibility, the effectiveness, the dedication, the substantiality of our discipleship while we're here. And thank God for Nazarene Bible College and this staff and these professors who've invested themselves altruistically in you and your ministry and your future. Paul's talking about this very subject in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 at verse 10. Here Paul uses building construction as an illustration. 1 Corinthians 3rd chapter, 10th verse. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day, capital D, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Here at verse 10, Paul chooses building construction as an example for his teaching. This building is set on a foundation. If you know anything about construction, you've got to dig a niche. You set and tie steel. You pour concrete in the ditch, a footing. Sometimes I have a poured, framed stem wall. Sometimes I use concrete block. This building is set on a foundation, and that's the illustration that Paul grabs here to toss to his readers about our building, the ministry that God has given us. He said, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. He's not bragging. 
He's just telling the truth. He said, I hit it hard. I gave this deal all I had. I threw myself into it for all I'm worth. Ever since I met the Lord on the Damascus Road, I've invested myself 100% in the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ, especially among the Gentile world. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. And someone else is building on it. And that's what we're all about. We're part of the Masons and the framing crew that's come and building the superstructure on the foundation that Paul already poured. And then he parenthetically reminds us, insisting, by the way, no one can build on any foundation other than the one which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And that's precisely why we're here this evening. Did you know we're not building on Mohammed? Did you know we're not building on Confucius? Did you know we're not building on New Age? What are we doing here? We're building on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus Christ is not one way among others. He's not some way among several. He is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. John wrote in his epistle, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Paul said, I laid the foundation, and now the framers are in building the superstructure on the foundation that I poured, which is Jesus Christ. And then he warns us, it wouldn't be a bad idea occasionally to examine and inventory the building materials which, which you are choosing to build your life and ministry. He says, you can build with silver, gold, and costly stones. What's that all about? exemplary, illustrative of the durable, the quality, the substantial, the significant, the holy. Or you can build a life and ministry with wood, hay, and straw. What's that about? Exemplary and illustrative of the lightweight, the superficial, the mediocre, the nominal, the apathetic, the incompetent, ineffective, inefficient. As politely as I know how, I would like to respectfully confront all of us here how you build in your life in ministry. Since the minute you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, are you building a life in ministry of silver, gold, and costly stones, or wood, hay, and straw? Is your life in ministry characterized by the durable, by the quality, by the holy, the substantial, the effective, the efficient, the sanctified? Or is your life in ministry more accurately described as the minimal, the lightweight, the superficial, the mediocre, ineffective, inefficient? It's our choice how we're going to build our life in ministry. He says it's a pretty big deal. He says because it's going to be tested at the day. His work will be shown for what it is because the day is capital D. What's that mean? Report card day. That's what it means. A day is coming when every one of us are going to stand in God's presence and answer for the quality and the credibility of our own life and ministry. Did you know there's a parallel passage of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10? Let's take a look at it. 2 Corinthians, 5th chapter, 10th verse, he uses the plural pronoun, we, including himself. 
writing to the church, believers, not the sinner out in the world. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? That each one may receive what is due him for things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Want well, to know what that means? It means we're going to get a report card. And thank God for an opportunity on this side of report card day when we have an opportunity to step into the teacher's presence and say, uh, Lord, you got a minute? You think we could uh, talk about how am I doing? Anything that he'd like to add to your life that's not there now? Is there anything that he'd like to subtract from your life that is there now? Can you clearly testify that you've come to a point where you're sanctified through and through and dedicate yourself uncompromisingly to him and his plan and purpose for your life? Has he cleansed your heart from inherited willfulness and set you apart for his exclusive ownership and possession? Are you throwing yourself completely, uncompromisingly into his call on your life for Christian ministry? It's a pretty big deal because Paul says his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. Verse 14 if what he's built survives, he'll receive his reward. If it's burned up, he'll suffer loss. Reminds me of Jesus' popular parable in Matthew 25 regarding the talents. Those who'd done well and were conscientious and productive. He said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'm putting you in charge of many things. NIV says, come and share your master's happiness. I bet some of you got that memorizing King James, don't you? Enter thou now into the joy of thy Lord. You know what? A day's coming when every one of us here we are going to stand in God's presence and face the consequences of our level of conscientious, dedicated discipleship. This does not imply for a second that we're saved by works. No way. Paul clarifies that in Ephesians. For by what? Grace are you saved through faith, not of works. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. We're saved by grace, not by works. Our conscientious utilization of our time and our talent and our possessions, building a ministry with silver, gold, and costly stones, are not fire insurance premium payments to keep us out of hell. We're saved by grace. Our conscientious utilization of our time and our talent and our possessions, building a life and ministry with silver, gold, and costly stones, are an expression of our appreciation to God for what he's done for us through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary, and the cleansing and dwelling power, the presence of his sanctifying Holy Spirit. It's further an expression of our sense of responsibility and commitment to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ worldwide and help edify the body of believers and have a substantial impact and influence in the kingdom of God while we're here. Can I ask you something? Is the kingdom of God on earth better off because you are a disciple of Jesus? Are you having an added value contribution to God's work where he's placed you 
and where you're currently serving. If what is built survives, he'll receive his reward. Next, he says, if it's burned up, he'll suffer loss. Talking about the wood, hay, and straw believer. And then he parenthetically concludes the sentence with a reminder. He himself, referring to the wood, hay, and straw believer, will be saved. Why? He's a believer. It would be a biblical error to say that the wood, hay, and straw believer goes to hell. That'd be salvation by works. He says he himself will be saved. Why? He's a born-again Christian. This is a letter to the church at Corinth. Some of them were credible. Some were lazy and incompetent, lacking dedication, saturated with apathy. You know, I heard about one pastor who was preaching rather aggressively on a Sunday morning. And he got a little uh, confrontive. He said, the problem with this church is ignorance and apathy. Two guys sitting side by side on the back row, and one punched the other and said, what's that mean? The other guy said, I don't know, and I don't care. <laughs> A day's coming when every one of us are going to stand in God's presence and answer for the quality and the credibility of our life and ministry. And I am honored and thankful for the privilege of visiting with you in these special services, turning our attention to the Lord, seeking the interior, kind, gentle coaching of the Holy Spirit about where can we grow and mature and advance and learn in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If what he's built survives, he'll receive his reward. If it's burned up, he'll suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. And do the homework on that language, and Paul's painting a picture of a man running out of a burning building with his garments on fire. <laughs> Barely escaping if, with his life. Is that the way you want to go to heaven? Like a runner sliding in the home plate just a second under the tag? We have a choice. How are we going to build our life? and our ministry. Out in Southern California, where Vicki and I live, there's a tire dealer where I've bought tires for years called Discount Tire. Do you have them back here? Every time I buy a set of tires, I always pay a little bit extra and get what they call certificates. It gives me free lifetime rotation and balancing. And I even get free tire replacement if there's a non-repairable road hazard. And they want me to bring that car in for a tire rotation about every five or 6,000 miles. Well, I'm a traveling man, don't you know? When I land at the airport, I've got a wife and a daughter and a son-in-law and two granddaughters waiting for me. And the last thing I'm thinking about when I get off a plane is tire rotation. Well, I was home in between revivals, and I was sitting at my desk, and I said, oh, man, I wonder how long it's been since I had a car in. And I pulled open the file drawer and pulled out the file on car maintenance and looked at the mileage. Oh, man. It had been over 8,000 miles since I'd been in. I told Vicki, I said, first thing in the morning when that thing's open down there, I'm going to be first one in line, get that tire rotated. And sure enough, I was standing right there at the door. Here come the boy, unlocked the door. I stepped right inside. He went behind the counter, 
started booting up the computer. He said, what's your name? I said, Norman Moore. He said, what's your phone number? I gave it to him. He said, uh, how many miles on your car? And I told him. He stopped. Whoa. Mr. Moore, it's been a while since you've been in. What do you think he said next? What do you think? How many things he said, what in the world's wrong with you? Get out of here. You're the dumbest customer I ever had. I'm never going to sell you no more tires. Is that what he said? No. He said, Mr. Moore, so glad you're here. Have a seat. Help yourself to a cup of coffee if you like. You're the first one in. We'll get you taken care of. You'll be out of here in about 20 minutes. I was driving, driving home, thinking about that whole deal. And you know what dawned on my mind? If the high school teacher had sense enough to treat me with kindness and courtesy and respect, when I came in to check on my grade, and it was obviously my fault, indicating my negligence, and irresponsibility. And if the tire boy down a discount tire had sense enough to treat me with kindness and courtesy and respect, when obviously I had been forgetful and irresponsible in getting in on time for tire rotation, I drove on home thinking. How do you think the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who describes himself as gentle and humble for those who come to him, how do you think he'd treat you if he cared enough to come in and say, uh, Lord, you got a minute? You think you might have some time where we could talk about how I'm doing mid-semester before report card day comes? He's not here to nag you. He's not here to hassle you. He's not here to guilt trip you or put you down. If you're doing the best you know how, walking in the light, living your life as a sanctified, spirit-filled, conscientious disciple of Jesus, relax and enjoy the trip. Keep on going. No guilt trips. But if the Holy Spirit has whispered in your ear and lifted to your awareness some opportunities for improvement. Now would be a good time, and this would be a good place. I never had a mechanic in my life chew me out for needing a tune-up. That's why he's in business, to help people that need a tune-up. And that's what revival is. Tune-up for our hearts. The Lord's here. And he's been speaking to us. And I'd like to give you a cordial opportunity to have a personal, private visit with the Lord before you go. You may kneel at the altar or be seated on the front row of chairs, but between now and when you exit the building, you have a premium opportunity to freshly connect with the Lord. If the school teacher had sense enough to treat me with kindness, and the tire boy did the same, don't you think the Lord Jesus Christ himself who loved you so much he shed his blood on Calvary, paying the price on the cross that you could be saved, forgiven, and go to heaven, and honor you with calling you to ministry?
don't you think he'd treat you with kindness and gentleness? Please stand. Jotham's going to help us with an invitation song. And one more time, I have the privilege of extending to each of you the opportunity to come forward for prayer. You may come if you choose because you want to. No hassle, no pressure. I respect you and your personal freedom of choice. But I cannot take a passive attitude, take it or leave it, because the consequences are too important. God's here. His Spirit's spoken to us from His Word. He's put His finger, perhaps, on a need in your life. Not to hassle you, but to help you. It's your call. But you'll never have a better time than now or a better place than here. You may come while I sing. Thank you for your reverence and your courtesy. You've been encouraging and responsive. But I need to tell you something. I'm concerned 
I'm concerned that somebody might be about to make a mistake and put it off. That's your call. Your choice. God's given us a freedom to choose. He never hassled anybody into spirit-filled discipleship. But I'm just concerned that somebody might make a mistake and put it off. Sooner or later, we'll vacate the sanctuary and be dismissed from the service. Eventually, tonight, we'll pillow our head and turn out the light. The day will be over. I just hope there'll be nobody here that stares at a dark ceiling with a tear in your eye and regret in your heart for blowing a great chance for brand new spiritual victory when your heart's tender and the Lord's been speaking to you. You can sense his presence. He's talked to our hearts from his word. Some of us have needs. Are you building with silver, gold, and tosser stones or wood, hay, and straw? We all have a chance tonight to make some corrections. And the teacher, in his loving, kind, caring, gentleness, and compassion, his understanding and acceptance, his empathy for you, is ready for a quiet visit if you'd like to come. We'll sing one more chorus, and that'll be all. Step out right now. Come just as you are. And hear the Spirit call. Come just as you are. Come and see. Come receive. Nice to have friends, maybe family, faculty, staff, to pray with these who are kneeling. You may join us now before our closing prayer. Father, we appreciate your nearness. We sent your presence. And we're thankful that your Holy Spirit has applied your word to our hearts one more time. I pray for each one here that you'll give us the grace to transparently discern by your Holy Spirit's coaching what corrections and improvements need to be made in our discipleship. Enable us to ascertain whether or not indeed we're building a life and ministry with silver, gold, and costly stones or wood, hand, straw. And what changes would you like to implement in our behavior, our priorities, our level of dedication and consecration to you? Help us to each live our lives in a way that when we stand in your presence, we'll hear your words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thank you for doctrine. This is Harold Graves. Each faculty member, their spouses, the supportiveness that they provide. Thank you for every staff member, every student, your call on our hearts. 
the anticipation of being thrust into a hurting world and bloom where we're planted and make a difference in this hurting world while we have chance. Go with those who will be leaving. Remain with us who stay to pray. And thank you for your help through these revival nights. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for being here. Love every one of you. It's been a privilege to be with you. You may be.